Last week, we, uh, the message is titled Battle of the Minds, and this week it's a very similar title. It's Battle of the Minds Part 2, okay? We need to finish where we left off last week. We looked at one primary passage, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and I'll remind you of that and do a quick little refresher. So those that weren't here last week, you're in for a treat. You get the Reader's Digest version of last week's message, even shorter than that. And then, uh, and then we'll jump right in this week to looking at our second passage, Mark 12, 30, primarily. We've been in our series, a, uh, a Renew series, where we've been looking at various passages throughout Scripture, kind of going on a little journey and looking at different important texts, all is important in God's Word, but particularly te- uh, texts that, that help us to think that we need to allow God's Word to renew um, our mind as we love and honor God in all areas of our life. And so we've looked at a couple of, of, a number of select areas in our life that are common to have our minds a little mixed up about, and we need to be renewed on. And so I've enjoyed being refreshed on some, what maybe some of us as believers would consider some familiar topics, but again, work and focus on having our minds renewed. So battle of the minds, our minds are at war. Maybe some of you more than others. But our minds, there's a war battling for our minds. It's been said before that there are more than 10,000 thoughts a day that go through your mind between your ears. Can you imagine that? Sometimes I feel like there's more than 10,000 that go through my head. Anybody else like that too? You know, you lay down and you just can't stop thinking. Um, or my wife will ask me, what are you thinking about? We'll be driving somewhere. You ever done this before? I'm driving. What are you thinking about? Huh? What? Huh? What are you thinking about? You know, and, and from her observation, it looked like I'm not thinking about anything. There's nothing between my ears. She knows otherwise. And it's not always an excuse to not talk and share, but a lot of times it's like, honey, I don't know where to start. I'm thinking like 15 different things at once. I'm just kind of like ping, 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 you know, between all these different things. Our minds do a lot of thinking, and it is, it, is, it is a disservice to us in a way in the culture and the world we live in that our minds are so uh, flooded and overflowing with the input constantly. We, we, almost, we have to work to get away from data input in our minds these days. Christians, we have to work to filter the data input. But the scriptures go much further, and they tell us instead of just filtering, which is good and we need to do that, the scripture speaks of that, we also need to train our brains to sort of renew our minds by God's word through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So that when that information comes in, when we seek to make decisions, when we go to discern, it comes from the way Christ thinks because our minds have been renewed. A.W. Tozer said this once, our thoughts not only reveal what we are, they predict what we will become. We will soon be the sum total of all, of all our thoughts, says Tozer. And there's a lot of reality there to that statement. We will soon become the sum total of all of our thoughts and the way we're thinking. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 reminds us that we, we see in this passage that God wants our minds to be renewed by His Word. It is by His Word, children, adults, seniors, our 
God's word must renew our thinking. And if a God's word is not renewing our thinking, then we are not thinking the way of Christ. And it is to our help, it's to our wonderful benefit these ways. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, let me remind you, this is no suggestion. This is no choice in living, although there is a choice to live this way. It is not optional for the Christian. We are called, we are obligated, we are required to have our minds continually renewed so that we are thinking like Christ. And so only continued meditation on and obedience to the holy word of God will produce godly character. There's no fast track. There's no shortcut. There's no other way around thinking with a renewed mind than by coming to know and submit to God's word. So because the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to sort of rewrite the computers of our mind, we then have a renewed mind. So, you remember uh, last week, possibly, maybe in your notes, and if you haven't, I encourage you to write some things down this morning to help you remember and rethink these things. We looked at this common statement that's a reality that really is in the text that we're studying this morning, and that is that right thinking produces right living. As long as that right is biblical and is God's Word. So, you can think of it this way, right or, or, or biblical thinking produces godly living. And that is what the text showed us. So Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, if you have your Bible open there, and I'll remind you of some things that we looked at. We looked at firstly in renewing our minds that there, there was a need for renewing, renewing our minds. Why? Because, remember the equation, thought plus desire equals action. What we think, what is in our heads, the way we work through problems and realities in the world produces that action. What is in comes out, and action equals behavior. And God is calling us to change our behavior by firstly having our minds renewed and transformed by Him. So in order for Christians to act correctly, they must first think correctly. And so we saw that renewing our minds is necessary, number one, because of our previous life in sin. We just reminded ourselves of this yet again corporately as we gathered around the communion table just moments ago. That we came from a life where we are captive and enslaved to sin. Every one, every man, every woman and child is born into sin. And so this is why he used these two words in the verse. Do you remember them? Conformed and transformed. Look at them there in your copy of God's word. This conformed word in Romans 12, 2, reminds you, is referring to an outward response to things. So it's to become behaviorally or socially similar to something. And so Paul was calling the Christians there to stop um, a habit that they had already established in conforming to the pattern of the world. You ever found yourself that way? Us parents that have children are probably challenged even more often in that way. When we see our children doing something, singing something, saying something, responding in a way, and like in my household, sometimes you say, "Where where did you hear that? Where did you get that? Well, I don't know, and maybe they don't know, or maybe they do, and, and so then we have a loving conversation where that, that's not what we do. That's not what pleases the Lord. That's, that's not what, how Christians act. We have to be reminded and renewed to stop the pattern that we're establishing from the world. 
And then the other word, word that we looked at in, in verse 2 was to be transformed. So opposite of outwardly conforming, transforms referring to an inward change, to change in structure, to change in nature or in essence. And so this is an inward change that produces an outward behavior. And so he referred to the previous life of Christians in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. And then we looked at Ephesians 4 and 17, and we looked at how the Christians used to live and how the inward change in our salvation had, had freed them from sin and, and sanctified them, and they've been called and set apart to live differently. And so we are reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16 that Paul told us that, uh, um, that, that Christians are to have the mind of Christ, to think like our Lord. We also saw that in renewing our minds, it was necessary and it was needed for a spiritual growth and discernment. You want to grow, dear Christian? We, we want to grow. We ought to grow. We know we should grow in the Lord. And in order to grow in our spiritual um, uh, growth process and in order to increase and to become more like Christ and to be able to discern, to, to rightly think and to divide God's Word and then to be able to use God's Word to make decisions and evaluate the things that go on around us in our lives, this is needed. Our minds must be renewed for this to take place. A believer whose mind is not being informed by the Word of God and whose thinking is not changing is a believer that is not growing. You are not growing. And so throughout time, we understand, as even the title of the message portrays, Battle of the Minds, we understand that Satan has engaged in a battle for the minds of people. We know this because Proverbs 23, 7 tells us and teaches us everything a person says, everything a person um, feels, everything a, a person thinks, or everything he does and feels and behaves, all is because of what that person thinks. And so Satan, in his attacks, doesn't just go for the superficial, but he goes straight to the heart of the matter. He goes right to the mind. If I can just get him to think this way, if I can just get him to take a little half step this way, then a little half step this way, then pretty soon I'll have them off course and thinking unbiblically. And so we need to be on guard of that. We also understand that, that renew our minds, renewing our, our, our minds is, is not only necessary, it's not only needed, but it is also accomplished by girding up the, um, uh, the, the belt of our mind, right? 1 Peter 1, 13 and 14 tells us, girding up the loins of our mind. We don't use that word very often, but remember it's the idea of, of, of cinching the belt tight, making sure there's nothing hanging and nothing encumbering and getting in the way of your Christian living. There are some things in and of themselves are probably not wrong, but Christians are best left alone and put off because they slow us down, they distract us, and they keep us from being on point with the Lord. And so to tighten up our belt of our mind by studying and submitting to the Word of God. That's how we do that. But God is specific in telling us what we are to renew our minds about. And that's where we come to today. And that is, if you'll go over to Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, and look with me, we will see what we are to renew our minds about. Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, very similar, it's a parallel text to the scripture that we just read earlier in Luke. Here we have another command from the Lord, 
It's actually called the first and the greatest. In one way, it is the one command that everything else in our Christian living hangs on. Here's the command, Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Mark 12, 30. And so we see we need to renew our minds about God. But what way particularly? What is the way that we need to renew our minds about particularly? And the first is in our loving God. That's what the text clearly tells us, Mark 12, 30, to love God. It goes further and says, how are we to love God? In what ways do we love God? What does it look like to love God? Other scripture portrays for us. But we see that we need to have our minds renewed on how we love God. Let's talk about love for a moment. Let's refresh our minds on what love is. Christians, we are commanded, we are obligated to love God. And this commandment is the first, Scripture says, back up in verse 28, which is the first commandment of all. It's a rhetorical question here. It's the first because loving God is the beginning of all obedience to God, folks. Firstly, loving God is the beginning to obedience to God. There's no obedience to God without loving God. Oh, I know we can go through the motions. I know we can, we can go through the steps and we can put on the face and appear to be loving God. But what does God look at? The heart. And so without firstly loving God, there is no obedience to God. And then also it's the, the, the greatest. Verse 31, it is the greatest because it is essential. And nothing is more important than loving God. That's where it begins. That's where it starts. Love for God. God requires and deserves more than uh, part-time love. I think there are many folks in the world today, maybe some Christians, that the manner of their life and the way in which they live, their, air quotes here, Christian life, is by a way that portrays a part-time love. I show God's love. I love God when it's convenient. I love God when I have time in my life to do so. I love God when I need God. I love God when it works for me. I love God once a week, twice a week, three times a week, however many times you attend your church services. But God requires more than part-time love. As Christians, we love God with all of our faculties. That's what, that's what this Mark 12, 30 passage is telling us. With all of our faculties. This isn't a compartmentalized love. This is a everything in the fiber of my being, my heart, my soul, my mind, and with all my strength, I love God is what we are commanded to do. Love for God in all of these areas. That's why the the Bible is a, is a critic of the thoughts and purposes of the heart. Do you remember Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12? The Word of God exposes, it, it shows us, it reveals our innermost thoughts and our heart and our soul. That's what God's Word is. It's alive, folks. It's living. Spend time in God's Word, and Christian, your life will change. 
You will be faced with, you will recognize, you will be encouraged, you will be strengthened, you will be shown, God's will will be revealed for your life. Oh, the rich benefits of the written Word of God for us. We must be in God's Word. That's the other thing. If we're not in God's Word, we can't come to love God more. How do we learn about God? How does God reveal Himself to us? Well, there's natural revelation. It reveals to the world that there is a God. There is a Creator. There is a Designer. And then there is Christ in person, the incarnate Christ who came and pointed us to God, who was God fully divine, fully God Himself, the Son of God, in person, speaking and preaching, the short ministry He had on earth. And then there's the special revelation, that is God's written Word. And those are the ways in which God has shown Himself to us. You want to know God? You want to see God? Get in His Word. It's His letter to you. It is His message to us. And so we come to know Him, and we only increase in loving Him by getting to know Him more. God requires us to love Him more than just in a part-time love. But remember, love is not an emotion, folks. Let me quickly remind you of this and make a very clear punctuation here. Love is not an emotion, Love is, is not just a, a feeling, although it may express itself emotionally. Right and proper love can express itself emotionally. Love is not emo- an emotion. I would dare say that the reality of what love is goes against probably 90-something percent of all the songs you could ever find that are written and sung in the world today about love. Love is not a feeling. It is not an emotion, although it can express itself emotionally, both in joy or in sorrow. Love is present when emotion is not. Love, genuine love, true love, agape love, is present when emotion is not. And so for love for God is, is concerned for and desiring of God's glory. So when horrible things happen and we feel crummy, we still write love is, I want to see God glorified. God, I love you. I know you're in control. It doesn't feel like you're in control, but you're your, your, your pure and, and truthful word says that you are in control. Your word says that you do love me. Your word says that you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. It doesn't feel like any of those things, but I know that your word says these things are true. That's what love for God is from learning who God is. Love is present when emotion is not. Christians who love God evidence concern for God's glory in their words. Christians who love God portray their love for God in not only the words they say, but their behavior, and also in their thinking and mental attitudes. I mention this all of the time. May I remind you again? 
Can you be patient with me? I'll remind you one more time in our household. We remind our children often that we need to obey with a happy heart. Obeying and loving God is not simply emotion or motion. Obedience to God, love for God, involves many times emotion and certainly motion. But obedience for God happens in the heart and the mind. Do you remember? Look at it. Mark 12, 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Christians, we do not glorify God if our thinking is contrary to to the Bible. So young people, teens, you can obey mommy and daddy. You can just do what you got to do. You can obey mom and dad with a rotten heart. It can be done because I've done it before, <laughs> okay? We can be obedient to God's word. We can go through the motions of what's going on without loving God with all of our heart, our soul, and mind. But when we're contrary to God's word, when we're just outwardly expressing disobedience, when we're just going through the motions, we are not glorifying God with our thinking. And ultimately, our hearts and our minds are contrary to the word of God. So the Bible is clear about thinking that is dishonoring to God and is injurious to ourselves and to others. Oh, our thinking is important. How we think about God, what we think about God is so vitally and fundamentally important to our Christian living. And God calls us to think about Him and to, um, to have our minds corrected and renewed in how we love God. If our thinking is not right, we will not treat people as we ought. And we will not worship God as we should. So let's make sure that we are loving God the way God teaches us to love him. We also need to renew our minds about God in the area of worshiping God. Loving God and worshiping God. Our lives are to be worshipful. Our lives are to portray a worship to God. There's corporate worship. There's individual worship. Our lives are worship. We talked a lot about worship a number of weeks ago in this series. But a direct way the Christian can honor God with his mind is through his or her worship. Too often, worship is disassociated from thinking. This is much of what the, the, the advent of, of um, quote, Christian, unquote, music, or other worship styles that are adapted, that are designed to play on an emotional feeling, because if we can just leave feeling like our emotions are really touched, then worship really happened. But let me, let's bring us back down to earth biblically here for a moment and remember this. As we discussed some weeks prior in the series, too many Christians think worship is a positive emotion that is simply directed towards God. And that definition I reject as defining worship of God. Folks, the Bible shows us glorifying God de demands a mental activity. Right worship of God demands that we have a right understanding of the object worshipped, God. 
So as we learn of him, as we are exposed to him, as, we, as he reveals himself to us, the response is worship when we rightly respond to him in that. The Bible shows us glorifying God demands us mental activity, and we must give serious thought to both God's attributes and his activities. Consider that for a moment. His attributes, that, that's pretty easy. We, we, we focus on that one. He's omniscient, means he knows all things. He's omnipotent, means he's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. There's nothing that can escape him, his knowledge, his sight. He's loving. He's merciful. He's gracious to us. He's kind. He's forgiving. We, we consider all these attributes of God. And as you consider them, the right exercise and right response is to worship him and to praise him for these things. Worship God's attributes. His eternality and so on. But then also we can praise God for his activities. This is also a form of right worship of God. We can praise Him. We, we love doing this sometimes on Sunday nights, but you folks that miss out, you miss out a wonderful treat on Wednesday nights when we gather together. Middle of a busy week. Most of us are tired. We've worked all day, and we just come together in a little bit more of a, of a casual format. And we gather together to commit ourselves to prayer, maybe a brief refreshment from God's Word, but then to give praise to God. You hear me often say this as a pastor, Right? How has God been working in your lives this week? What has God done? How has he shown himself to you? How is God working on your heart this week? Can you share that with your brothers and sisters, one of your closest families, the body of Christ? I enjoy those sweet times, do you? We give God praise for his activities, for what he has done, for what he will do. I love to pray that way. Lord, we're excited to see how you'll work in this way, but we trust you in the meantime. Help us trust you in the meantime, Lord. We're excited to see what you will reveal and that you already know will take place. We don't get to see it yet, Lord, but we're waiting. I love to pray that way. Do you pray that way? God already knows. Praise God for his activities in the past. Praise God for his activities throughout history, in our families, in our life, in our country, throughout scripture and biblical history. Praising God for how he, how he um, uh, 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 freed the, the, the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. Praise God how he protected and used Joseph throughout his life of being enslaved and serving under Potiphar, and then his family, and the portrayal of forgiveness. Praise God for how he used the prophets to, to preach to nations who were stiff-necked and rebellious. Praise God how he provided for the continuation of mankind that worked and threaded itself carefully in the gospel through the ark and Noah. Praise God for how he worked in the past. Do you give do you give praise to God for these things in our worship? Worshiping God involves knowledge. In all of those things I explained, it causes our minds to be engaged. Here's a truth about God, and so I praise Him for it. Here's a truth about God, and so I worship God because this is what He's done, this is who He is, and this is what He will do. Knowledge of God through His Word grows our love and our worship of God in every thought. True worship is predicated 
a knowledge of God. Lastly, this morning we see, and we finally come close to wrapping up this study, the battle of the minds. We see that renewing our minds also involves having them renewed about ourselves. Why do we need to have our minds removed? That's what we looked at, or removed. <laughs> Why do we need to have our minds renewed? Well, we looked at that, Romans 12, 2, right? We are not to be conformed to the world, but we are to be transformed. Then what are we to have our minds renewed about? About God, loving God, about worshiping God. We also see that we need to have a renewed mind when it comes to ourselves. And for this, come back to, if you're already there, Romans chapter 12. Go back there. We looked at verse 2, but I want to point out verse 3. Look at this with me, please. And you're, whether electronic or not, copy of God's Word, look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 and notice this. It's our last point this morning. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Folks, in order to fully glorify God in our minds, we must not only think correctly about God, but we must think biblically and correctly about ourselves. Who are we? What's our position? How should we view ourselves? Well, the Bible tells every Christian to not think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Here is a wonderful slice of humble pie. Are you ready to partake with me this morning? This is what God's Word is giving us, a dose of proper biblical humility to think rightly about ourselves as we should. Again, there's a lot of different things. The, the list is longer than I dare even try and quote this morning of what the world says to think about ourselves. You are in charge. You do as you want to do. Follow your heart. You are the decider of your future. And so on and so on and so on. You can think of, you're probably thinking of some of them right now. Let's scratch all that and see what God says. How are we to think about ourselves? Romans 12.3 tells us this. To think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Every Christian is obligated to have a correct view of themselves. And so what should every Christian remember about himself? Well, Romans 12, 3 communicates to us, I am only who I am by the grace of God. Can you say that, Lord? Actually, let's say that together this morning. All right? I am only who I am by the grace of God. I am only who I am by the grace of God. Not by your ability, not by mine, not by anyone else's, by the grace of God. This is the message of Paul. This is Paul's heart. Christian, remember you astonishingly are a child of God. And God's word, the gospel, tells us that we are, an, are the object of his love. The object of God's love. That's me. That is you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you 
You are the target. You are the object of God's love. And He wants you to submit to Him, to repent, to turn to Him and say, Yes, Lord, I am a sinner. I need You. And You alone are the answer. Forgive me. I place my faith and trust in You alone, Lord, because I am incomplete without You. We are the object of God's love. It was pride that caused the apostles to argue. I called you to remember that, that moment in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. He was breaking bread. He gave them the cup. It was his last supper, and it was the first communion supper. And as he was there, the disciples, even prior to that, let me remind you some things that took place. Do you remember? Picture that night. You can read about this in Luke and in the other Gospels as well. But it was pride that caused the apostles to argue about which one of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus not only rebuked them for their pride, as you can read about in uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 24 and 27, but also, what did he do next? <laughs> Cut down probably on his hands and knees, and he began to wash their feet demonstrating what? Humility. How embarrassing that must have been. You know, it's like, I'm in the middle of an argument here. What are you doing, Lord? <laughs> oh yeah, I should be that humble. I should have been, I should have thought of that, right? That was my idea. <laughs> Humility. And then the day of Pentecost, read about this in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 actually says, they were all of one accord in one place. Why? Because of their demonstrating the humility, their right thinking about it's not about me. It is all about the Lord. It is all because of His grace. And so therefore I demonstrate that by it being all about them. Acts chapter 2. As diverse as they were in personality and in temperament, as, as diverse as you and me are, are in personality and temperament. Do you remember impetuous Peter? Quiet Andrew? The sons of thunder, James and John. All of them, Acts chapter 2 points out, gathered harmoniously together in one accord. Folks, it is pride that causes sinful divisions amongst Christians. It's pride. As old as creation. It's pride. But a renewed biblical thinking of who we are generates peace amongst the brethren. Young people, the way you think because of how God's word tells us to think changes the way you interact with your brothers and sisters and with your moms and dads. Couples, spouses, the way you think, the way you think drives the way you act and behave and interact with your spouse, with your husband, with your wife. Church, as I preach to a gathered assembly, the local church, Calvary Baptist Church together, how we think about God's Word, how we think as it's transformed by God's Word, 
changes the behavior and how we interact together. We must wake up to the danger of unbiblical thinking. We must understand that Satan, dear folks, Satan is at war. He is targeting our minds. He doesn't play nice. He's been around a lot longer than I have. Oh, but I have God's word on my side. I can think like Christ. I can think like Christ. Everything you say, everything you do, everything you feel is determined by the way you believe and what you think. And so it is a truism that right thinking produces right behavior. Biblical thinking produces right living. Christian, if you, if you live, if, if your life is not in spiritual order, then it is, may I boldly say, it is sure that your thinking is not submissive to the Word of God. The whole counsel of the Word of God, not the easy parts, not the parts we like, not the parts that fit our narrative, but submissive and humility and love for God to the whole Word of God. And if your life's spiritually in a mess, Take great hope and courage that you have God's word, and as you submit to it and learn to know him more, that's when our lives begin to be in order. Friend, if you're not a born-again Christian, if you're not a born-again child of God here this morning as we wrap this up to a close in 2 Corinthians, listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, the word of God says that Satan has blinded your mind. It has blinded your mind until you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin. Then, then you can have the mind of Christ and a renewed mind. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, as we looked again at some familiar truths and we refreshed our minds from last week and even we look now, we look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 and 3 and we look at Mark, Lord, we look at these passages and we see that we are commanded to love you. We thank you that your word shows us how we are to love you. We see the effects in our lives and the way we think and the way we behave. And Lord, I pray that each one here will desire to know the scriptures and bring their thinking into harmony with biblical truth, your holy word. Heavenly Father, help us to submit to your truth in the midst of a world that seeks to create its own and even seeks to actively pervert your truth, Lord. Oh, Heavenly Father, guard us in the battle of our minds by strengthening us and by renewing our minds through your word. Help us to submit to these truths, Lord. I pray that people would be encouraged that there is hope this morning and to be able to get things in order, spiritually speaking, to be able to think like Christ. There is no other way around it but through your word. And so strengthen us, Lord. Uphold us as we commit to stay true to your word and to think like you. I pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.